thinking a bit about um, a portion of scripture from Luke's gospel. Again, another encounter with Jesus after his resurrection. And so this time, uh, I've done it slightly out of order. Last week, we thought about Jesus coming to the disciples behind locked doors. And that happened the evening of the first Resurrection Sunday. And then we had, uh, we compared that a little bit with what happened the following week when he returned and Thomas was with him that time. Um, we're winding back a little bit to sort of, I guess, the afternoon of Easter Day, um, as we're going to read the passage um, from uh, Luke 24. And we're going to start from verse 13. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They said, stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you, the, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me 
and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Father God, we ask that you will speak to us from your word, that you will open our minds to understand more of who you are and who you call us to be in your service and for your kingdom. So teach us this evening. We want to learn from you. Amen. Before I start um, sharing some thoughts about this passage, um, I'd love us to listen to a song which Glenda has composed, written and sung, and, and Paul's put an accompaniment to it, um, which is, I'm right on there, Glenda, it's based on the two who were walking um, to Emmaus. And you know, Jesus knew what they were talking about on the way. Um, but you're hearing this song about the, his desire that actually all, all, of, all of this is about imparting faith, helping us to believe. Um, so shall we listen to that song as we prepare um, to reflect on the, the story we've just heard read and open ourselves up to, to God this evening? He died and on the third day rose, appearing once again to those who loved him and knew him well. He showed them wounds upon his hands that they might know and understand. He'd risen and lived again. Talking about, and he 
knows that in our hearts we may doubt. So he's here that he can cast out our unbelief. The stone wasn't rolled away to set our Savior free, but the stone was rolled away that we might see. No, the stone wasn't rolled away to set our Savior free, but the stone was rolled away that we might see. Thank you, Glenda. That's that's really that really speaks loads so thank you so much for that that was wonderful gareth if you're able to let me share my screen then i'll um show the pictures i've got for this evening's talk at the moment i can't share my screen he has all the power <laughs> is that better let's try again excellent yes wonderful thank you okay so, um, as we're thinking about this, this passage, we're thinking about this encounter that the, uh, the two disciples on the way home to Emmaus, some seven miles from Jerusalem, had. Unbeknownst to them, they had this wonderful journey and conversation with Jesus, the very one they were talking about, but not realising it. In fact, it was more of a journey walking through despair and confusion. They were... I think it's true to say they were despairing somewhat um, because they watched their hopes snuffed out on the cross. Their hope was that they were going to be liberated from pagan rule, but the crucifixion uh, was actually a demonstration of their liberator being executed at the hands of those very pagans. And he, the one Jesus talks to and asks questions of says that they were expecting, they had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And that's language of the Exodus story, the redemption of Israel. It's a story that has defined God's people for centuries. And he uses that language when he talks about his hopes that have been crushed, that his hopes were in Jesus, that he was going to be the one, that Israel was going to be liberated, but it all come to nothing. There's also obviously a certain amount of confusion going on, but they don't realise that, I think. They have been schooled in uh, the Pentateuch, in the Hebrew Bible. They, they know the stories of their people. They know who God has revealed himself to be through the, through the stories that their people have told them. But they're looking at God's self-revelation and his purposes for his people like the, from the wrong end of a telescope. Now, I have to go to the opticians every year to have my eyes tested, and I'm sure some of you do as well. And do you ever remember putting on those weird glasses where they put in the extra lenses and, and you look like a complete idiot wearing these enormous things on your face? You feel like they weigh a ton. And, and the optician sort of has this screw at the corner and, and it gives it a little tweak and says, is that better or worse? And you have to try and decide if it's marginally better than last time or worse. Occasionally, occasionally, for me, he puts in a lens where everything's, a little, everything's fairly blurred. It's like looking through frosted glass. And then he tweaks this 
this screw at the corner and suddenly everything jumps into sharp focus. Is that better than last time? Yes, that's a whole lot better, thank you very much. And he makes notes and knows what he's doing. To me, it's a little bit like Jesus had to do that sort of turning of the screw, that, that bringing everything that is, it's all there, but it's just not in focus. It's not being viewed in the right way. Because what the disciples had been looking for and what was widely accepted was that God's purposes was for Israel to be redeemed from their suffering. And what Jesus needed to demonstrate that actually it wasn't they were going to be redeemed from suffering. They were going to be redeemed through suffering and the suffering specifically of one for all of them. They needed their, their view of God to be unwound a little bit and then reworked. Uh, it needed to be unwound and reformed by Jesus. And, and it mean, meant that everything that they looked at then, when they looked back, would look different in the light of what Jesus said. Jesus helps them unwind wrong impressions of God, and, and then he helps them rewind and review the crucifixion and the rumours of resurrection and, and everything that's going on, all that turmoil, that despair and confusion that they're going through right now, helps them to view it in the light of what he says, actually the scriptures have been talking about since centuries ago. And that makes all the difference. Um, and this idea of unwinding wrong assumptions or, or deductions is something that um, those of us who are parents or have any influence in children's lives um, can be alive to as well. Um, we pick up along the way, we pick up wrong assumptions or we make wrong deductions about who God is or how he, um, feels about us, how he interacts with humanity or whatever. We pick up odd ideas from pictures, from images, from the media, and sometimes it all sort of gets bundled into a mass and wrong deductions come out and our theology, our way of thinking about God can be distorted. And, and we do this for each other and we need to be careful about making sure we do it for ourselves. Um, unwinding unhelpful or untruthful views of God and, and allowing Jesus to help us join up the dots again to find a bigger picture of who God truly is. And that's part of the role of parents in children's lives or, or grandparents or others with influence in children's lives is to help take those wrong assumptions, gently unwind them, and then help them join the dots again to have that better, more accurate picture of who God is. If we had allusions to the Exodus story back um, while they were talking on the road, then when we get to the, the meal that they share together, we have an echo of another story that is equally as, um, as important to the Israelites' um, identity, to the Jewish understanding of themselves. And that's the story of um, the fall from Genesis 3. That was another time when, pe when two people took food, at it and their eyes were opened. Do you remember the wording from Genesis 3? Then the eyes of both of them, we talk about Adam and Eve here, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. As I say, that's a defining story that shaped Israel's understanding of their relationship with God and the history of its brokenness. Because through that meal, that opening of their eyes was actually a curse. It actually brought about death into the world and was part of the, the fall, the first sin that was committed in rebellion against God. So 
Tom Wright, in his commentary on this passage from Luke, says, can you see the echo there? That this time, these guys, these two, eat a meal, they have their eyes opened, and this time they see the one who was dead, now alive. They see evidence in front of their eyes of the reversal of the Genesis curse, the reversal of that um, entrance of sin and death into the world. They, they see that the curse is broken and that death has been defeated by Jesus. And for, for Wright, it's quite a powerful image, this meal that opens eyes. Those two disciples hadn't been with Jesus at the Last Supper, so it wasn't as if he'd gone through a ritual here is my body broken for you, or any, any of those sorts of words that would have necessarily rung bells in their memory. But they were his disciples, they lived near Jerusalem. No doubt when he was visiting Jerusalem, they would have eaten with him. There was something about eating with Jesus and breaking bread with him, that, that um, notion of breaking bread being fellowshipping around a table, a meal together. Something supernaturally opened their eyes and they could recognize him for who he was. Now, for Luke, scripture and sacrament are very tightly bound together in this detailed, beautiful description of Jesus encountering those disciples. And to Luke's readers, first readers in the early church, bread and wine, the sacrament bit, had, had already and quickly become the central symbolic act. It's what marked them out as Jesus's people. And they would have understood Jesus to be present in that meal by his spirit. And it's a really important combination for the church because without the grounding of scripture, we're left with something that looks sort of quasi-magical, like a ritual, a magical ritual, which is the sacrament. And it's not that. But without the sacrament, that mysterious connection of the spirit through the material substances, through the stuff of everyday life, the bread and the wine, without that, we are left in danger of simply an intellectual or emotional exercise of biblical study that could become detached from real life and void of any sort of grounding in the stuff of the here and now. The two go hand in hand, scripture and sacrament. But Jesus wanted to take it further, I think, because he didn't point to his ability to walk through walls to prove his identity. Um, he didn't just show what he could do now this appearing and disappearing that wasn't what was going to convince them of who he was uh, and equip his disciples for what was to come instead he showed them his scars and he traced god's purposes through scripture with them there was a lesson for them from the physical reality and the scriptural dimension See, he was preparing his disciples to be so well grounded in the truth of his resurrection because they'd met with him, they'd encountered him, they, they knew who he was, they'd seen, they'd touched his scars. They knew he was the one who had died and rose again. They needed to be grounded in that truth of the resurrection. But they also needed to be grounded in the meaning of the resurrection, of the implications of the resurrection by understanding the bigger picture that God had been painting for his people since the beginning. And so he adds this second layer of understanding to the layer of their experience of seeing him. He appeals to their hearts and their minds. These disciples have got to be fully convinced in the most holistic way. That is to say, it's not enough for them just to encounter Jesus and have those wow moments of 
do you remember he came and he did this and wasn't it weird and it was a bit like a ghost but you know to be left with just the experience in those post-easter days wasn't going to be enough they needed to have that experience but they needed to encounter the jesus whom the prophets had spoke about the writers of the scriptures under the guidance of the spirit spirit had pointing had been pointing to and anticipating since quill was first put to parchment they needed to know that this was the risen jesus but let's take it one step further the word and the bread is important but what about the word as bread you see jesus thinks in these terms it's how he confronted the tempter in the desert quoting from deuteronomy 8 3 that people don't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god the word as bread that feeds us now jesus the one john describes as the word describes himself also as the bread the bread of life and there's a really rich correlation between word and bread throughout the bible and you might like to grab a concordance or, or hop online sometime and do a word study uh, and and discover this this combination that crops up over and over again but i think one of the central points of this combination is is this that god is the one that sustains and gives us life it's both mysterious and at the same time intrinsically involved in the stuff of his creation he he sustains us because he is god he is god of the universe and, and he sustains us because he meets our daily human needs it's both these dimensions at the same time god speaks to our soul and brings it to life he feeds our minds and our soul from the word and he provides sustenance physical sustenance as well as spiritual when we look to him and, and depend on him and jesus is the one who is the word and he's the one who through whom life is given and life is sustained through him i am the bread of life he said whoever comes to me will never be hungry and then using the mirror image to complete the picture he says whoever believes in me will never be thirsty so coming is supposed to correlate to believing so come and believe in me and then you'll never be hungry or thirsty you'll never need for anything again you will be sustained and filled up you'll be satisfied I guess we pray give us this day our daily bread and many of us also pause before our meals to thank god for his provision we get hungry and so we eat that's natural that's being human but i wonder how often we recognize hunger in our souls we are so very good and we've been trained by our world at this at filling our lives with all sorts of distractions tidbits here and there candy floss that kind of gives the illusion of feeding us but in fact doing nothing of the sort and leaving us dissatisfied and empty right there in our souls the word is there it's here it's given to us we have no problem accessing it in this country even if you don't own your own copy and i searched and all i could find was that the average american has nine copies of the bible in their in their home i don't know what it is for the uk but there's plenty to go around we have this it's freely available on the internet even if you don't have your own copy it's given away by different charities like the gideons 
how can we cry and moan that we're hungry for the word or we're not being fed if we leave the bread, the word, sitting on our shelves gathering dust? So if we take, take our lead from Jesus in these post-Easter encounters, we have to take seriously our need to read, to study and come to terms with the God who is revealed first and foremost through scripture. That's where Jesus takes his disciples, both on the road to Emmaus and in the upper room. He meets them, shows them who he is in the upper room, and then he takes them to the, to the, to the scriptures. On the road to Emmaus, it's reversed. He takes them through the scriptures. Their hearts are burning within them. And then the revelation comes. But both are there, knowing and recognizing who Jesus is, and then him taking us through scripture. He took it really seriously. We are to feed on the word. But let's do this intentionally in the company of the spirit. After all, it was Jesus who opened the disciples' minds so that they could understand. It was, it was an act of God to enable them to grasp what he was saying, to allow their ideas to be unwound and, and remade by Jesus. We would do well to approach the word of God with humility, recognizing the same need in us for a teacher, for the Holy Spirit to, to lead us and guide us. The Spirit is the one that breathes life for you today in the words written centuries ago, in another country, in another culture, and penned in another language. But I do believe God will speak through these words if we allow ourselves to be open to being taught. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It'll do the work that God determines it to do. So yes, we need to learn to feed ourselves. Many of us are finding in this strange um, lockdown world that without the daily commute and with less rushing here and there, that opportunities do open up to find time and space. I'm not saying we're all sitting around doing nothing, far from it, but even small snatches here and there to start with. We find these where we can find a quiet place and study the word, get out the Bible, read, but in the company of the Spirit. And that's it. It's spending that time in the company of the one whom the word is all about. We can get inside the story then. We can find our way to the heart of the story and what it's all about. Um, as Eugene Peterson, the, the author of The Message, version says in one of his books he says we enter the center of the story without becoming the center of the story that's to say we can find our way in with jesus help with the spirit's guidance we find our way into the truths that are there but it's never about us it is always about god so if the word is like bread to us a sustaining meal to enjoy i wonder how you enjoy yours how do you go about it um, a varied diet is a good way to begin, allowing the word to shape our lives. A diet of Old Testament and new, uh, perhaps with a side order of Psalms, that's, that's, a good, that's a good balanced meal. But there's such variety in the Bible and there's such a variety of ways in. Have you tried experimenting with the setting of your meal? Try reading imaginatively, slowly, recreating the scene in your mind's eye maybe. Uh, placing yourself somewhere in the picture that's being created for you and seeing how you relate to the characters as you go along. Where is God in this story? It's not always straightforward, but ask, where is God? 
what does God think about this? The Bible doesn't always give you a clue, doesn't always state that this happened, it was God's will. This happened, God approved of it. That, that's not always there. But read and ask yourself, where is God in this? And what does he think about it? How about, uh, how about taking a, a word? I mentioned this earlier, doing a word study. A good way to try and appreciate um, more deeply and more broadly a particular concept or a facet of God's character. Look up all the occurrences of a word. Note them down. Pay attention to the different contexts because they might not mean the same thing in different contexts. But look for patterns that build a picture of what God is like or, or how he interacts with humanity. Have you tried stepping back and gaining the bigger picture uh, of the whole Bible narrative? Yes, you can read the Bible. You can read the Bible in a year. You can read the Bible from start to finish. But since the lockdown, uh, my college tutor, Dr. Helen Painter, she's been recording a daily video and it's accessible through the SWBA website and the Baptist Union website. It's a, a YouTube video, you probably search for it on YouTube, but every day taking a book of the Bible or sometimes half a book of the Bible, but going through and just giving the overview of the arc of the story of God from beginning to end. Um, and that's an excellent way to sort of understand the bigger picture of what the word is saying to us. It's a long, long story that shaped the history and the identity of God's people. And guess what? We've been grafted in. We're part of that story now as well. So it's good to be able to place ourselves within that whole narrative. Have you tried doing the opposite? Have you tried taking a single verse committing it to memory, actually learning it off by heart and chewing it over, coming back to it throughout the day when you're boiling the kettle, when you're, you're out for your walk, whatever, but coming back to it in the company of the spirit and just meditating on it, thinking about it. What does it mean? How does it apply? When was it said? You're asking questions of it. That's meditation. That is chewing over to get the goodness from it. There are so many ways into the Bible. If you don't know where to start, please please speak to someone's contact me speak to your house group leader there are loads of ways in the word is life the word became flesh and dwelt among us that was jesus he came to bring life please let us not come out of lockdown anemic and starving because we haven't learned to feed ourselves from the word of god jesus is the bread he is the word and in his company we pray that we might have our eyes open to see who he is and to believe all that he has for us and for his world. And we do need both encounter with the living Jesus and a firm grounding in his teaching. We need the bread and we need the word, the sacrament and the scripture. We need the wonder and the mystery as well as the study and the understanding. Jesus taught his disciples from the scriptures and ensured their understanding was robust and their conviction about his resurrection was absolute because they were going to need to be sure if they were going to speak out for him and turn the world upside down once they had received power from on high. And you know what? We need that too. Amen. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word, the scripture. 
And we thank you for your gift, the word, your son, Jesus Christ. And while we play around with words, thinking about word and bread and sacrament and scripture, the truth is we need you. We need to open ourselves up to you more. We need to um, feed on you daily by reading your word, by inviting the Holy Spirit to come in us and to reveal stuff to us that maybe we struggle to understand, but you are capable of opening our minds to understand. So we ask that you would teach us. Teach us how to love your word, to recognise the pangs of hunger in our souls for more of you, and to turn to the, the scriptures to see how they paint you, how they point to Jesus, and how they can give us good reasons to rejoice that we are part of your people, part of your plan and your purposes for this world. Lord, we pray that you would humble us and give us teachable hearts, however long we've been a Christian or however new we are to it. We pray that we might humble ourselves and learn from you. So give us a thirst and a hunger to know you more. And Holy Spirit, we ask for you to help us to reach for our Bibles and to pray and to read in the company of Jesus. And may we grow strong to be able to share what we have with others who don't have it. And to be robust and sure of what we hope for and certain of what we believe as we engage the world and we challenge and we point to Jesus. Make us strong through your word, through your spirit, through your presence in our lives every day. Amen.